Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. Our podcast explores the center and fringe of art scenes across six continents. In November 2019, artist Trenton Doyle Hancock brings his mythological mound verse to Miami. Locust Projects gives over the entire space to his site-specific installation. He will immerse us in a world inspired by comic books, toys, horror films, and animations. For decades, Hancock has been telling the story of the mounds, gentle, hybrid, plant-like creatures, protected by Torpedo Boy, Hancock's alter ego and their enemies, the vegans, mutants who consume tofu and spill mound blood every chance they get. In paintings, sculpture, drawings, prints, video, and installation, the artist explores good and evil, authority, race and class, moral relativism, politics, and religion. This is not our first encounter with Trenton Doyle Hancock. He was among artists that curator Valerie Cassell Oliver selected for radical presence, black performance, and contemporary art. The exhibition premiered at the Museum of Contemporary Arts Houston and traveled across the United States. In radical presence, Cassell Oliver surveyed seminal black performance art. She invited artists into the exhibition to restage their performances. We make our way to Houston in early 2013 to watch Hancock embody one of the characters in the narrative he began creating when he was 10 years old. For an evening performance titled Devotion, he becomes a singing mound. He's blindfolded. Cassell Oliver feeds him jello. The spectacle is intimate, absurd, and deeply spiritual. Hancock is based in Houston. The next morning, we head to his studio to wander through the histories, objects, and ideas that inform his work. The artist's warehouse studio is awash in accumulating materials, shelves filled with cast-off toys and books, bottle caps, scraps of felt and fabric, cans of paint, works in progress, and finished collage paintings line the walls, a drum kit sits waiting in one corner. You've had recognition early on for your intensity, if nothing, (laughs) of your work. And I was thinking it's important to introduce the main characters in your series, and they still figure in your series, Um, the mounds and the vegans. The mound is sort of the central character in the mythology that I created 
the mound has his protector, who's Torpedo Boy, who's actually a character I made up when I was um, in, the, I think, the fourth grade. So I've been working on him since that. And um, then there are the vegans, who are the um, aggressors, and they try to kill these mound creatures. Then there's gods and deities and other characters. And basically, I made up and all those characters just to give me something to paint. Maybe it's made up of parts of the self, so like playing my own psychoanalyst as I'm making the paintings and analyzing my own past and trying to create some template maybe for the future or uh, possibilities for future projects through that filter. And after a while, the filter kind of broke down and I think that's where I am now. The characters are still there, and they still do figure into what I do, but they're going to come forward in a different way now. I was seeing reference to Henry Darger and the Bible, mythology, and abstract expressionism. Even outside of those things, I'm influenced by everything. That becomes a problem for me because I, how do you express everything you know, in your studio? There's kind of no way... Minimalists do it by, I think they're also a lot of times interested in everything and they boil everything down into an essence and then just work with that essence. And I think I'm trying to do that, but I'm more of maybe a maximalist. So like I see how many things I can use that maybe the sum total of those things makes this really unified idea. But yeah, characters like Henry Darger are really interesting in the sense that he just did what he wanted to do, and he made this painted world all for himself. It was a way for him to maybe understand or deal with the things that were going on in his daily life. So his art, I feel like it had an equalizing function in his life. So he was a very intense character. You um, have your own handbook. I do, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely an encyclopedia of, of characters, and it's based on the Marvel comics, so they have their Marvel Universe books. And I remember as a kid, not only did I love just looking at the encyclopedia, especially the painting, the P or the S for snakes or the D for dinosaurs, like I would just thumb through. And it was really fun to see all of these characters itemized. So I'd like to see snakes like put in their phylum or categories, like here are the non-poisonous, here are the poisonous. And, you know, in a way, the same thing for painters. Like, here are the non-poisonous and here are the poisonous ones. It was a cool thing to see all of it, abstract expressionism, photorealism, all of it. There was no hierarchy. They just, and here's this painter, here's this painter. So as a kid, I'm looking at it going, okay, they're all painters. It falls under that umbrella. I can't really say I like this more than this because the encyclopedia said that they're all the same. And the same with the Marvel Universe. It was, you know, they have the good guys, the bad guys, and you're reading through it and going, man, they're all so interesting. A lot of times the bad characters were more interesting than the good characters. So, yes, I decided to create my own encyclopedia, partly as a way to just figure out what I had, like ideas laying around, things that, it's like, how can I bring this idea into the, this narrative that I've created, an idea that may be quite abstract, how do I 
personify that or make it into a humanoid kind of a character and express it that way in this kind of absurd way where I give it a history and uh, its strength potential and all this stuff. The dilemmas that you deal with in your paintings, male anxiety and artistic anxiety as figuring largely in the work. I like that. I mean, male anxiety. I don't think I've heard it put quite like that. I mean, I would say, yeah, there's a lot of emphasis on failure in my work. I think without failure, you can't have any real achievement or growth. I do express that somehow within maybe the story arcs or something within that character that's a kind of a fatal flaw or a fatal flaw even within the material that I use and how that material is, is placed down next to something else that alludes to this thing wins over this or this is a, an extremely pathetic ratio here of paint to canvas or, or something. So that I think I've internalized this idea of the self-deprecating comedian even within how I put the paint down. I want there to be something expressed that's human. To me, being human means being vulnerable and being fallible. Male anxiety probably falls under the umbrella of that. Your sense of language and color has been described as musical. As I said, for me, I didn't know you as a performance artist, mm -hmm. but last night you sang at the Contemporary Arts Museum mm -hmm. here in Houston. Tell me about what made you want to sing. I mean, I've sang all my life. I grew up, you know, in the church. My father was a minister and mother was the choir director. So in my whole family, like my cousins and immediate uncles and aunts and stuff are professional gospel musicians um, in and around the Dallas area. So music has always been part of my life, but it's always been somewhat separate from my art life. I'm so adamant about absorbing and bringing all of this other stuff into the paintings, but that's one thing that's been curiously left out. But performance, acting out these kind of poetic and meaningful gestures has always, I think, been part of my practice too. Because to me, acting out or role-playing or becoming my characters is a way for me to believe in the characters that I'm painting or inventing like method acting in a way. It's like, it totally immerse yourself in that world, be the thing, and then you can, without any guilt, express the idea through paint or promote it. You can use the painting as a promotion for this larger idea because it's you. But even within the performance, music has been left out of that. I felt like it was time. I was given this opportunity at the Contemporary Arts Museum to restage this performance from 15 years ago and I thought well I don't want to do it the same way I did it then because it doesn't I've grown and I was just no reason I would do that it would feel empty so the performance had to grow and I think in that growth there was something a risk I had to take you got to get up there and do this thing that in church when I sang there was no risk you know it's like it's a loving environment. Everyone else is singing, and it's for this greater cause. It's like, well, what is that going to mean when I transfer that over to this new setting? I still haven't answered that question yet for myself, so I can't answer it yet. And it's very new. I mean, this happened last night, so 
But even while I was up there, I was thinking of the possibilities for future performances. Like I'm still in the mask, I'm still jello, still rolling down my face. And I'm like, what, how can I do this again and add something new to it and for a different audience? Why jello? The jello for me was a stand in for absurdity, maybe, and the kinds of ready made colors that I was interested in, like these commercial colors. Back in the day, I know why I chose jello. I mean, it was an edible version of the paint that I was using. It was an edible version of the plastic tops that I was using. Uh, it really it made sense to ingest that material. This last solo that you had in New York at James Cohen Gallery, and then it all came back to me, was that show something different for you? Yeah, that show definitely was a turning of a corner, I would say, because I'd say the transition from my narrative, I wanted to explore more personal ideas. Sometimes I felt like I was hiding behind these characters, like the mound is out here, the vegans are out here, and I'm way back here in this protected place, which is partly by design and it's something I needed for a while. But then I think I wanted the vulnerability, I wanted the accountability. The mouths and vegans never disappeared, it's just my place as the artist in relation to them just shifted. Now I'm out in front of them. And so it all came back to me. And then it expresses this idea of memory. And then it all came back to me. Like, oh, I remember a time when there weren't mounds and vegans and I just made art. So let me get back to that place. So how is that manifested visually in the paintings that you made? Well, there's a lot more self-portraiture. That show that you mentioned had a lot of, if I held up a mirror, like someone would say, oh, it doesn't look like you, but it felt like me. It's like I knew that when I relate to the image, I know it's me, you know what I mean? And sometimes it did look just like the glasses and the hair, facial hair and everything. There was just something that I wanted to be closer to the skin. And I think that is expressed in probably each one of those works. And do you think that show is somewhat what led to you getting the Greenfield Prize? That's hard to say, because I wasn't on the committee. Uh, I mean, the description of the prize is this designated for artists whose work is undergoing significant changes. Well, then, yes. In my proposal, it was all about me focusing on this character that was the symbol of my transformation, who was this sort of hybrid between myself and the Mound characters. He's neither good nor bad. I don't know what he is. I don't know why he exists, but he kind of has this foreboding quality to him called the Bring Back and I want to do um, a short film or something experimental dealing with 4D or with time. So they've given me two years. That's a gift. Yes, that's definitely a gift. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Here's Trenton performing Devotion at the Museum of Contemporary Arts in Houston. Yeah. 
the Fresh Art International Podcast. I'm Kathy Bird. Our 2013 conversation with Trenton Doyle Hancock explores more than a decade of his epic creation myth. His large-scale solo at Locust Projects in 2019 continues the heroic adventures of Torpedo Boy and the Moundverse. It seems likely that this artist will never lose the desire to experiment and play with the fantastical characters that animate his inner world. Visit our website to learn more about Trenton Doyle Hancock and hear other episodes in our archive. Please take a few minutes to review Fresh Art International on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram at FreshArtINTL. The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, Emily Hall Tremaine Foundation, Locust Projects, and the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, the International Association of Curators of Contemporary Art, and listeners like you make this project possible. On FreshArtInternational.com, sign up to receive our latest news and give a donation to support our stories. Stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.